the Tomodachi Bros podcast episode one. Before we get into it, I just had a couple things I would like to outline for our listeners. I just want to go over real quick how we basically arrived at our first series, which is going to be JoJo season one, how we selected it, the process we used, and just the format of the show moving forward. So as the Taku mentions in episode zero, the shows are going to be selected at random, but we do have a method to our madness. Essentially, when it comes time to pick a new show, the Taku, Snack, and I we're each going to put forward a show that we would like to watch. And this can be a new show, an old show, something we've seen before, something that just looks interesting to us. It doesn't matter. Then on top of that, there's going to be a fourth option. The fourth option is going to be the random option. So with this, we're basically going to throw all our choices into a hat. Then we're going to roll some dice or use a random number generator. And then we will decide the winner. So we've already done this process beforehand. That's how we arrived at JoJo season one for our episode one here. And I believe this was Mr. Snack's choice. So he won this round. You won this round. Uh, but for future, yes, you've won this round. Always do. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for future episodes moving forward, we will do this process on the show. And that way, you know, you guys know what we're going to be watching next for those playing the home game. Anyway. Without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to Mr. Dotaku, who will give us our JoJo synopsis. Well, you see, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is actually an interesting case. The series is actually a meta-series, whereupon it covers eight different stories, each of them involving the Joestar family, a heroic family that starts originally in Great Britain, but moves across the world in various different ways and just seems to keep getting into supernatural shenanigans. However, being as heroic and resourceful as they are, they will always fight for both the goodness and betterment of both themselves, their friends, and the human race in general. So, that being said, though, we're going to talk about Part 1, Phantom Blood, and part the first bit of Part 2, Battle Tendency which I believe is actually Mr. Snack's favorite part. Isn't that right, Mr. Snack? Yep. Uh, my first, the first two parts really, I think, are, are just one great cohesive story, even well, separately or together. They are amazing. I love their leading men. Uh, just love everything about them. Uh, so for this episode, we're covering episodes 1 through 13. So those playing the home game. And then the following episode, our part two, we basically we're going to be moving forward. We're going to be splitting seasons in half. For those of you who are not who want specifics, what he's referring to is we're going to be watching 13 episode chunks. So a single season, if we're talking about anime seasons. Yes. All right. So. Phantom blood, gentlemen. First off, I suppose I need to sorry, not sorry, you guys, because I kind of am the reason why you all are actually 
familiar with JoJo at all, really. Yes, 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 that's right. So, uh, sorry, not sorry, because basically what happened was, is back in 2006, God, uh, I was on this certain website, I believe it's a underwater basket weaving forum called uh, 4chan, Ah, and they started having just out of context bits of the manga show up, and I go, what the heck is this? So I look into it, and I find a text translation of part three, Stardust Crusaders. I read it over the course of 36 hours, and I fall in love with it. Then I find Veggie's JoJo Scanlations, which I don't even think exists anymore. And I started watching it, or rather reading it. And, eh, well, yeah. And then I, you know, I, I'm at college at that time, and I come home, and I meet these two guys, and I go, guys, this is the best thing. <laughs> and they're a little bit skeptical at first, but, well, being a good friend, I can't not let them, you know, get involved in things I like. So that's where we are now. As We were in high school. Uh, yeah, we were in high school. Dutaku was preparing to go off for college, I believe. Okay, that's right. I remember the, the first thing I actually saw of JoJo was actually a, a fight fairly early in part three. And that was pretty much all it took to sell me on it. And now as a quick aside to all listeners, you don't need scan translations anymore. JoJo's part one through three are available in complete translated official release form through Viz Media. You can find them everywhere now. They are really high quality hardback release that comprises several manga volumes together. Uh, and they are starting on JoJo part four now. Please support the official release. Yes. Yes, please do. You cannot imagine what I, what, how many hands and arms I would have given for something like this about 10 years ago. It wouldn't have been my hands and arms, but it would have been somebody's hands and arms. Yeah, I mean, man, it's been really interesting actually doing this and going back through the series and everything because I personally have nothing but like nostalgic feelings about JoJo. I mean, even when they, I found out they were doing the anime, my first thought was, oh, JoJo, oh yeah, I remember that from high school. Also, I know the manga's been around from J- in Japan for like 25 years. It, it started in 1986, I want to say. Right. But I mean... It was so weird back then, back in high school, because if I had talked to anyone about anime or JoJo, like outside of the two of you guys at the time, I mean, God forbid I even brought up JoJo, I would just get these sideways looks like, JoJo, what's that? I love Naruto. But yeah, it's been interesting. I think I remember after Dotaku introduced it to you, Mr. Snack, uh, you definitely schooled me on it. Because I can recall several days where we would sit and go through just chapter after chapter together of the manga scans. And then when we got tired of that, we would like take a break and go binge watch Kamen Rider because we were getting into our deep dive of Kamen Rider at about the same time. And then when we got tired of that, we would go play. It was it was like the, the JoJo PlayStation game at the time. Yep. Yes. Heritage to the future. Yep. Which was released on uh, the PS1 and the Dreamcast. And even though I, I owned both, I had the PS1 version. Yeah, man. I remember so many hours playing that game, trying to get the, the 
and the the Dio, doing the Dio steamroller combo and everything like that. For, for for people who may have been lurking on the internet for a long, long time, on Albino Black Sheep and several other Flash animation websites, there was a compilation of JoJo sound bites because there were actually JoJo games going into the PS2, both for part one and part five, and obviously the part three game, Heritage to the Future, where Stickman would act out the different stand punch flurries. And we actually saw those out of context before we ever saw JoJo. And when we actually realized that's where these sound bites had come from, it was kind of an, oh, wait, that's where that comes from kind of thing. Yes. And I mean, just so people are clear, we are by no means fighting game aficionados, but we played these games to such a high degree and we knew the character so inside it out we actually basically made our own tier lists and even had banned characters and basically it got to the point where it's like if someone was to play as dio or jotaro and you didn't have a comparable character you were officially that guy and you probably get punched so yeah it was <laughs> that is that is true facts especially when each of us started clicking into our own best characters, similar rules had to be installed. Warning, it is a non-stop spoiler onslaught going forward. Abandon all pretenses, ye who enter here. Okay, so jojo part one phantom blood we are introduced to our first jojo mr jonathan joe star his father george joe star our villain for the hour yes our villain for every hour our villain for every hour <laughs> except the second one yes. funny enough mr dio brando no but it's okay because it acts as a backstory for the entire impetus for him becoming the the villain of every other hour so it's okay. That's true. That 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 is true facts. That is true. And it, uh, also, it's the closest thing we ever get to a kind of a scientific explanation as to how vampirism actually works. Because is it supernatural? Is there actually a mystic element to it? Kind of, sort of, yes, but kind of, sort of, no. Because I mean, ultimately, what Cars is doing is basically just very basic science, even if it basically is flat out magic. <laughs> how how his, any, his technology works any sufficiently advanced technology is comparable to magic although i have to you know it's at the same time though there are just certain supernatural elements that are just kind of a, okay like for instance the fact that they mentioned that tarkus and bruford both can do just flat out superhuman things like bruford is he the one with the hair yes no, no it's uh, yes it yeah bruford. bruford yeah he just has hair manipulation just just hair manipulation this is later on a, a person who has a stand has a similar ability, but he just can manipulate his hair and it's just effectively a third limb that he can just use. And that's just a thing he can do. And everyone's like, oh, OK, yeah. And that's about it. That's the that's the most explanation we're given. And to say nothing of, of Tarukas, who is just this dump truck of a human being who, who is just so all mightily powerful. It's targets. It's, it's based off of a rock song by, uh, yes, I've, I've watched the dub uh, for everyone who knows anyone who's listening. I'm the guy who listens to the dubs nine time out of 10 <laughs> if the sub is all I got. I will happily do that. I have nothing against reading subtitles. I love to read, 
But if a dub exists in my language and it's not like, say, for kids quality dubbing, then I'm totally down with that. What what do you say in there, Rufy? Well, you don't like four kids? <laughs> oh, uh, what are you talking about? The four the, the the four kids One Piece dub is the only way to enjoy One Piece. Oh, <laughs> oh I think we lost a few subscribers there. You, you, you may quote me on you may quote me on that. My name is the Hipster Snack. I am on YouTube.com. Please come and flame my channel. I welcome any attention because my great great granduncle was actually a peacock. <laughs> wow. I think that's like a backward step for evolution, but okay. Don't ask me how that works. Uh, More to the point, the the world already, we we get established pretty early on that this is supposed to be pre-World War I England as pre-World War I England essentially was. Now, what begins twisting things is all the weird supernatural stuff happens in the shadows outside of polite society's concern. And it all starts with a stone mask taken out of temples in Mexico. This stone mask ends up causing literal generations of misery for the Joestar family. Not the least of which is it's on the carriage that we see in the very first few minutes of the show as a carriage comes careening off a hillside due to a landslide, which ultimately kills the mother of our main character, the plot-armored, gigantic colossus of a human being, Jonathan Joestar, who may as well be Jesus of Nazareth because he is just (laughs) the nicest guy you will ever meet. But if you wrong his friends, he will pummel you until you don't have any blood left to bleed. He will kick you in the He, in fact, has actually kicked people in the multiple times. Am I I allowed to say that? (laughs) You know what? I'm going to say it anyway. I mean, it, it's true. It, it's true. So I, I guess it's fine. <laughs> Moreover, we're then introduced to the series recurring nemesis known as Dio Brando. And if those names sound familiar, they should, because Jojo loves it some references, which is actually part of the reason why it's been so hard to get a localized version. This is a reference to, in fact, Ronnie James Dio, a uh, very prolific heavy metal artist. Uh, well known for his activity in both Black Sabbath and also his own solo work, I believe. Although he was in Rainbow. Well, I mean, in Dio, I was thinking, but yeah, also Rainbow, I guess. I mean, you would know more than that, his specific stuff. Well, Dio shows up on the scene, and while Jonathan is more than happy to kick off a friendship, Dio's not so much. Is is that what you call setting fire to someone's dog? I was about to say... Had, if anybody had just come up and just kicked my dog in the face the way that Dio does, you're you're, you're dead not, to me already. You're not getting in my house. <laughs> like they give they give Dio so much rope. <laughs> if you think about it, it's just. <sighs> well, I suppose that's just that is kind of the thing with the Joe Stars is that they ultimately are very kind-hearted people. Even people who aren't you just you just killed my dog, but. Well, you can still stay here. I mean, that, that, <laughs> well, at, right. at that point, okay, at that point, Dio is, is legitimately orphaned. His parents had literally just died. So as far as everyone else was concerned, he was kind of a victim of circumstances. So him copying a little bit of a negative attitude, that could almost be forgiven. Though I, I totally <laughs> see I totally see where, where, where Cog's coming from. And, and I agree, because I'm very protective of, of you know my family. But, you know, there's a certain degree... 
to which his actions make sense. And it's also implied that a lot of it's in, in the shadows where, where George Joestar and the servants aren't. Looking. Yeah, they do. They do that where it's like, he's not really seeing. And just as an aside before, because I know this is kind of a meme, Iraqi doesn't actually hate dogs. In fact, actually this is, you know, to quote the cool kids, this is the villain literally kicking the puppy. It's, it's a way of proving how utterly evil Dio is. So it's not actually uh, that, and that's the thing. Iraqi actually has owned several dogs, and that he he loves them. But that's the point: is that it's like, ooh, this guy's so evil. See how evil he is. He kicks puppies. Ooh, yeah, yeah. On, only a monster, really. I mean, Dio is is kind of a romanticized villain, mostly because, like, let's be honest, he's a good looking guy and he's swole AF. So I mean, now you see this guy kind of enter the equation. This guy is a monster. He is legitimately horrible. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a horrible. And the, and human the thing, being. honestly, bef, bef, while we're still on, well, not that he's even, he's even a human very long, well, but I mean, still. still the thing, honestly, that I kind of noticed rewatching the series that I didn't re- notice before was the fact that in part one, Dio is drawn a very particular way. Uh, but the way he's drawn in the anime is actually more reminiscent and closer to the way he's drawn in part three. His hair is parted in a much different way than the way he's drawn in Phantom Blood. And they don't have his really, really dark eyebrows that he has in part one. Which I think is it makes sense. I mean, it's to have consistency from the way he is in part one. And at spoilers, he appears in part three. But it's just, it's like, oh yeah, yeah that's, that's kind of interesting. I, I understand where they're coming from with that. It ultimately doesn't really change anything, but it's, it's interesting. The overall art design is very much on on model with the manga. Really, um, David Productions has done a killer job doing what is essentially a shot for shot remake of the manga. And only a few scenes, only people who have read part one as many times as I have will catch the parts that weren't actually included in the anime version. Did you guys forget about the also memorable scene where Jonathan briefly plays with a frog and Arena screams at him because she thinks it's gross and he just kind of like casually tosses it away and makes a face? Yeah, me neither. I was about to say the the things, honestly, I was kind of noticed were gone wasn't so much those little scenes. It was the fact that a lot of the gore is censored. Like, for instance, I mean... Probably the most memorable part of part one for me is the bit where Dio's got the woman and with her baby. Oh yeah, and she's she's bargaining for the baby. She the like eats the oh, baby. Yeah. She like makes her into a vampire. No, hold on, hold spoiler on, hold on, hold on. You're not going to steal my thunder on this one, guy. So yeah, so she's got the baby and is please don't put you know you can do anything to me, but please don't hurt my baby. He's like okay, okay. So he he makes her into a zombie and then he's like all right, like I said. You're not, I'm not going to do anything to your baby. And she's like, I'm so hungry. I will eat baby. Om nom 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 nom. And it just literally, they have the woman like eating the head off of her own baby. And it's, it's pretty, pretty brutal. Shonen Jump was a little more lenient on violence back in the eighties. Yeah. You think, you think when they had fists and more star, you think. (laughs) That was also a gripe of mine going back through part one because the manga is just so violent. Uh, through throughout JoJo, people get seriously maimed in some wild ways, and it's kind of these like escalating moments of disappointment where you first have this experience that's like, oh, 
oh, that that wasn't quite as satisfying as it was in the manga. And then it kind of just keeps happening as you go through. Doobie, for example, you don't even I, I mean get to see him be eaten by his own snakes. Yeah, but I mean, another thing you have to bear in mind is, is again, those standards are different. This was Sunday morning television programming in Japan, so they couldn't really accurately portray the scene where Dio transforms into a vampire and casually pops a dude's skull cap off using his first yeah. fingers. <laughs> so some compromises had to be made. I, I actually. Well, actually, they did kind of show that at first. I was actually kind of impressed that they did start to show him kind of stab the dude through the back of the head. I'm like, oh, man, they actually are doing this. And then, yeah, it turns away. They also do this like weird, for example, when they go to face Dio and cut him in half, it's all like glowing colors and things. So I guess it doesn't look too gory. Oh, yeah. Just the guts are just kind of red glowy bits. Yeah. Yeah. like They don't really texture it. I didn't notice this. I was actually watching it uh, with some friends of mine. And when we got to that scene with the sword, we, they kind of made a joke. It's like, oh, it looks like a Tom and Jerry skit because like, there's just <laughs> monochrome colors inside of Dio's body when he like pulls himself literally back together. Yeah. They're like, oh, it's like Tom and Jerry. It's got like cut in half and he's just fine. <laughs> a, a little bit of texturing. There's a lack of texturing. It looks smooth. I will say I love I love the intros and I love the outros to the show. Like the way they did oh the blending God, with yes. the manga and the animation. I never feel like I, I need to skip you know, a lot of the JoJo intros and it's got one of the best outros uh, probably of oh. Eddie. I mean, it's yes. Right. So let's let's talk about that theme song for a second. Fate of the Blood, because, oh, my God, that is like seriously one of my favorite anime songs. Oh, boy, here we <laughs> go. It's next going to be fanboying now. It, it, it's an amazing <laughs> song. It captures everything that is JoJo. As far as I'm concerned, the fact that it literally shows all of the JoJo's up to that point, I think it it shows up to Johnny because JoJolian wasn't actually a thing when they started. Yeah, pretty much. It, it's it's an amazing song. It, it's I mean, it's it's all right there in the name. It is the fate of blood, whether it be you know familial bonds or literally fighting evil, crazy, blood sucking vampire demons. Now, I mean, here here's the thing that's probably not going to earn me any you know, fans, but I'm not a huge fan of Bloody Stream. It's a it's a perfectly serviceable song, but after, you know, Sonochiwo, Sadame, where literally the dude is like belting out these crescendos, then we're just going to have, you know, do, 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 do. And it's like way more subdued when it's like battle tendency actually is like kind of an escalation from Phantom Blood. And it's just like, yeah, we just kind of got some, some, some smooth jazz. We're just, <laughs> we're just smooth. And we're just very, very uh, chill. Uh, and it's yeah, like, that is a fair complaint. I, I think, I think I like the song more than you do, but uh, the one thing I, mean, I yeah, will give, no, I mean, the, the one thing I will give particularly to, well, this is actually true of, of the, the Jojo anime as a whole, the fight themes in this series are just incredible. Oh yes. And I'll no, talk I about agree. those more in depth next time. Because some of my favorites, three in particular, show up primarily in Battle Tendency. Are you talking about but, Elephant Talk and Awaken? <laughs> I was talking about uh, Overdrive, I'm in Control, and uh, Joseph's theme. Oh, well. But let's let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the ending theme. Oh, yes. And the meme that it continues to be. To this day, despite the fact that it's been how many years now? 
seven. Oh wait, no, eight. It was 2011. Yeah, so it's been eight years, and it yeah, it's still it's still a meme. It's actually one of those memes that I think is still pretty funny most most of the time. I'm very critical of shit like that. <laughs> I I very much like hearing roundabout at the end of this. I'm totally for more prog rock and anime in general. I think what I need is for someone to make an anime that starts with like Panic Attack by Dream Theater. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but you know, here's some Savage Garden. How about that? Or <laughs> even better, you know, here's ha- here here we're gonna have uh, some pop, some late '80s pop too. Well. Well, here's the thing. This has been the, the one of the things I thought was really cool, and I thought it was a bit of a disservice when Part Three discontinued it. But not only did they use the same song for the ending sequences for Part One and Part Two, but the actual animation picks up where Part One left off when it transitions into Part Two, because you see the the flow of the blood on these ancient ruins culminating in the stone mask. Then you see the stone mask breaking, which signifies the ending of Part One. And then it starts moving into the sculptures that we see in part two. And honestly, what I was really hoping to do, even if they didn't use the same song, I really hoped they'd continue using that kind of animatic to show that same thematic transition into part three. Uh, but that's not going to happen because, see, here's the thing. Part three is so iconic and is only tangentially related to the other parts that I mean, it, it ultimately, I think, is to its credit because, I mean, and honestly, this is kind of a thing when I, when someone asks me, it's like, dude, what? why is JoJo so good? I'm like, because it's basically X-Men, but but not poop. <laughs> and he goes, well, well, why is that? I'm like, because the problem with the X-Men is, well, first off, they have really cool powers and they never really use them in interesting ways. Like, for instance, if you can shoot microwave heat beams out of your eyes... Well, think of all the cool different things you could do with that. But what is what does the guy do? Oh, well, I'm just going to shoot a beam at the bad guy. Anything else? No. Secondly, they actually have the decency of of like having characters leave the spotlight rather than. Oh, man, it's here. Here's the legendary final battle. You you're not going to want to skip. And also Wolverine's here (laughs) because he has to be in every single X-Men thing because he's popular. Oh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and it's like, I mean, I know that I basically just described Western comics in general, but that's that's basically my thing. Yeah, to, to play devil's advocate, and, and uh, I'm sorry I keep losing us subscribers, even though we literally just started this podcast. You also kind of described Jotaro there. Yes, but see, here's the beautiful thing about it. Jotaro is barely in part four. Most of the ser- he's only he only shows up in a few battles. The vast majority of the actual mainstays are brand new guys. Part five, he barely shows up at all. Part six, once again, he's barely there at all. And well, I'm not even going to get into what happens between part six and seven, but. Okay. No, I mean, that's a fair cop. I mean, you should know better than I would about part four. You were, you were watching it. You were watching it more than I would. I mean, I love part four so much. And the fact that it has an anime adaptation and a full dub, just, I love part four so much and I can't wait to cover that in a future podcast. <laughs> yes. It'll just, it'll just be him fanboy squealing the entire time. It's like, yes. And thank you, snack. That is a very helpful contribution. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Where were we? Well, we covered uh, animation and music. I think now time 
Let's dig a little bit deeper into that juicy, juicy, uh, very messy plot. Yes, the plot. We, we started with Dio showing up at the mansion, and suddenly he's a vampire, and I think we missed some intermediary steps there. But let me give you the too-long-did-not-read version. Yes, let's, let's. Stone Mask. Stone Mask is bad. Stone Mask makes vampires. Jonathan and Dio grew up together, and Dio kicks the crap out of Jojo. Jojo writes several books that are later attributed to Oscar Wilde. <laughs> Anyways... <laughs> That's a smart joke, everybody. I'm sorry, but Jonathan is not nearly that gay, but okay, please continue. Dio becomes a vampire. Jonathan is literally willing to set the entire Joestar estate aflame in one of the coolest battles in part one, I would argue, as a mere flesh and blood man is fighting this crazy, ranting, almost preacher-like Dio as he goes on and on about how he has evolved beyond humanity the way humanity has evolved beyond the apes. Well, see, the thing is, is that at this point, Dio doesn't even know really what he is. His only experience is he killed an old man entirely by accident by making him into a vampire when, oh, that's what this does. Then goes, yeah, okay, I want a piece of that. And he's figuring out, it's like, okay, does fire hurt me? Jonathan sets him on fire. No, fire does not really hurt me. Can I proceed to climb up this wall just by slamming my feet into the wall? Yes, I can do that. Can I just punch my way through people? Uh, yes, I can do that too. So he's kind of figuring things out as Jonathan's figuring things out, kind of in the opposite way of, all right, what actually is going to hurt Dio? And as Snek so helpfully described, basically it requires throwing him into a burning building and then the building collapses on him and they go, yeah, okay, yeah. That's a great scene. Oh, yeah, that, that, that should work. That, that should work. Where they're falling down the shaft and Dio lands on the goddess statue. Oh, God, that gives me goosebumps. But that also brings to probably my favorite character, William A. Zeppeli, or Hey Baby, the character. Zeppeli is probably the the MVP of part one for me. He was He's, he's really probably one of my favorite characters of part one. Of course, he's, he's only in part one. I know there's there's the Speedwagon Patrol, and he, Speedwagon is pretty great, but, I mean, he doesn't have gratuitous gratuitous English. So, I mean, that that's a point in... Yeah, but look at, look at that kitten-like face and, and tell me that he's anything but adorbs. Wait, are you talking about Zeppeli, or are you talking... <laughs> Even Speedwagon is a friend! Even Speedwagon is a cat! <laughs> Tell, tell me, boy, what, what's a donut? It's like unicorn dreams, Mr. Zeppeli. <laughs> that, that's a JoJo abridged reference, everyone. <laughs> Antfish, please continue that. I know you have it in like six years, but please continue it. <laughs> it's, a, it's amazing. We will definitely watch it. I still quote it to this day. Uh, as a quick aside, I went to work one day and I didn't realize I left YouTube autoplay on. I get back and turn my speakers on and it's on in the middle of a Jojo abridged episode. So as soon as I turn my speakers on, I hear Antfish doing the voice of a young Jonathan Joestar screaming, nothing can diminish the Joestar sex drive. And I'm just like, whoa, <laughs> you know, it's whoa. not the first time or the last time that you've had wacky adventures with YouTube there. Lest we go into the 10 hour B movie, Sono Chiwo Sadame. Wow. Thing. That was amazing, and now now I kind of feel like I have to clarify. Imagine Sonochi Wasadame, but every time they say Jojo, it's the entire recitation of the B movie script. And I sat through it. it it's over. It's over ten hours long. Oh, wow. And I wait, sat wait, through wait. it because I wasn't going to let Snek beat me. I am a very stubborn person. 
any hoodle. So. So Dio actually survives this encounter. And then he recruits Jack the Ripper to his party. He does not just Jack the Ripper, but a bunch of crazies who all are actually superpowered freaks. And yeah, it basically becomes Kung Fu Sun Warriors versus a bunch of superpowered zombie freaks. I have to say that was another fight I really enjoyed. I think that was like episode four. Like Zeppeli gets a lot of really great speeches in that one where you're cheering on jo- Jonathan and what makes the Viking the North Wind made the Vikings. Yes, 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 <laughs> exactly. But a flea attacks a creature larger than itself. This is not courage. This is a parasite acting out of instinct. That speech gives me chills. Ever. Yes. All right, moving right along. Ultimately, this results in a dramatic confrontation between brothers as Jonathan wields the sword Luck and Pluck against Dio and all his crazy vampire powers that he seems able to just pull out of thin air on command. Because this is anime, anything goes. It it escalates really quickly. The fights are incredible. And the introduction of one master, Tom Petty, and his two students, Dyer and Straits, Our Lord and Savior Dyer and his unstoppable attack, the Thundercross split attack. The I'm going to leap at you very, very slowly and kick you attack. Yes. (laughs) Here's another thing. I honestly feel like that was kind of another thing where Iraqi's like, we can't just have Dio just not have a defense against the Ripple. So he's like, oh, yeah, maybe he can just like seal all the heat in the guy's body. And that's I mean, admittedly, that is kind of a thing he does in the other parts as well is that he'll kind of set a plan. Ah, the heroes have a plan now. They have a way of of taking care of this enemy. And then the enemy just goes, haha, it's funny that you have a plan because I have a plan against your plan, particularly against part seven, Funny Valentine's probably the most egregious part of that. Of course, Funny Valentine's just pretty egregious in general. That is true facts. So, And thus the series, at least rather the, the first part of the series, comes to a literally explosive conclusion aboard a cruise ship, bringing the life of hero and villain alike to the bottom of the sea. Okay, so I'm going to be that guy now. So if he was in the coffin at the beginning of part three, what was the coffin that Arena got away in? Mm. Well, (laughs) you see, Dio got into the bottom compartment, and she was on the top compartment. You see, it was a bunk bed coffin. (laughs) Bam, inconsistency gone. (laughs) Meanwhile, you know, Jonathan held him in the 100-year-long noogie, and thus Dio was (laughs) unable to escape. (laughs) Bam, done. Inconsistency gone. Nice. Wow. Something that I have to say that I really appreciate about Araki and his writing, if you're going to do a really long-running narrative, you know, move it forward I mean, I really appreciate how he has had the guts to change things up with each part of JoJo, where we're like moving down the line, we're changing out the cast, we're moving through the, you know, time is passing, and we're moving through the Joe Star lineage you know, versus another show we've already kind of ragged on, which just goes on for over a thousand episodes. Yeah, I'm I, I'm not really big on The Simpsons either. <laughs> yeah, right, but. I also just I really respect the guts he has had to be like, I'm going to do something different this time. You know, we're going to move forward, change the tone of the story with each part. Part one is this vampire story. Part two is this 
Indiana Jones adventure. Part three is this globe trotting quest to save the world. Part four is like a murder mystery versus, you know, it's been a thousand episodes and we still don't know where, what the one piece is. <laughs> I, I think that's kind of why he moved away from the Haman and vampires, honestly, because he more or less had done everything that he could with Haman and the vampires and why he shifted almost entirely over to stands because stands don't require you to do a particular type of story. The stand can basically be anything. And not, not to mention it, it gives the reader stopping points because part one in its original softback paperback manga form only ran four and a half volumes. Part two picked up immediately in the second half of the fifth book. So you get these, this way to pace the story where, yeah, you could read Jojo front to back as one long, never ending story, or you can read it as eight smaller stories that share continuity and elements. Honestly, I think that's the way you should, you should treat it is that it's basically like a big shared universe. The rules of the universe are the same. And so if you are familiar with the universe, you can easily just kind of jump into it. But by and large, the vast majority of characters, once that their part is done, they're done. They're good. There's not really a whole lot else that they're going to be doing. Excusing, of course, stuff like George Joestar over heaven and other shenanigans. And I don't even want to get into that. <laughs> That's a different kettle of fish entirely. Yes. So let's get into overall thoughts. I, as I said before, honestly, my opinion, my estimation of the first bit of JoJo has risen. Uh, I was not super enthused, super enthralled when I originally read these parts way back when. I think it might have been my bias, too, because, you know, ah, they, this doesn't have stands. What's going on? That was it, it is. They are definitely lacking the the part one and two definitely lack the, the unique element that you know eventually becomes Jojo. I, I had kind of the opposite experience. I actually read part three front to end first, and then I went back and actually read parts one and two. But I actually liked parts one and two better, first of all, because I think the two leading men are much more entertaining than part threes. And that's a conversation for a later date. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm all about Joe Turo. I mean, I, I'm just, I love the, the Clint Eastwood style and he's, he's easily my favorite designed Jojo. He's visually, he's really interesting. I don't begrudge him. I think Joe Turo's fine. It's the, the, the fact is I, I am okay. Th this is a bit telling. I am the guy who plays Paladin in D and D unironically and <laughs> enjoys it. I play tank roles in Overwatch. I think Jonathan is just an awesome character, and anyone who calls him boring, uh, step outside so we can fight. Yeah, but because here's the thing, though he has such a he has such a lackluster supporting cast, and that's the thing with with part three. I think is that Stardust Crusader. You can go, yeah, okay. Jotaro is is just a stone cold guy who really doesn't have a personality apart from quippy one-liners and, and beatdowns. But can you really say the same thing about Polnareff, Iggy, Joseph? Yeah, and which is Takiyar? all fair. Can you say that about them? No, no. And I mean, hell, there's also a whole horse. I mean, I, I consider a whole horse to be one of the main characters. He's basically with them to the end. So, I mean, 
Yeah, basically, pretty much as soon as he shows up. So yeah, I I think it's the supporting cast that really makes it. I I kind of agree with with Snack on this one about Jotaro, but then again, I am that one weirdo that actually likes part six. So I mean, try. yeah, but we can cover that. <laughs> we can cover that more in depth later. The thing about part one and two, um, thematically, not only are they very consistent across one another, I think it's also really cool to see that steady escalation of threat. Uh, you go from Dio, who's a childhood bully, to Dio, who's a you know grown man and incredibly cunning and underhanded, to Dio, the flat-out monster, which forces Jonathan to continue to grow as the hero of the tale. And again, he, he kind of has like a, a messianic vibe, and Araki talks about that a bit in his book. Uh, Dutaku has a copy of it, actually. I've been meaning to sit down and read it myself. It's sitting in a bookshelf yeah. about 10 feet away from where I am, manga in theory and practice, yes. It's really good. He actually specifically has a point where he flat out just goes, and it's called, This is the Reason Why I Killed Jonathan, and it goes into his reasoning, and it basically is, Jonathan had to die so that then the rest of his descendants could have a happy life. And once again, kind of what Cog was talking about earlier, it was a gamble on his part, but it's a gamble that his editor liked, and it was a gamble also that his readers liked, because he was actually really afraid when part two was about to happen. He says, oh man, you know, I just changed my protagonist. I changed the feel of my story, how is this going to affect my readers? And then just no one seemed to be bothered by it. Everyone really took to Joseph because he's such a, he's a really interesting, likable character. Yeah. So. And the entire story pacing for part one is very brisk. There's almost no wasted time. You figure out who everyone is, what their deal is, and, and they roll with it. And you see that, that growth in that, the characters. And while I do wish, you know, I think uh, Dutaku raised a very fair point. Part one as a bit of a lackluster cast, and Tom Petty and Iron Straits show up a bit too late to be really impactful on part one, especially as, you know, there are a few deaths in the party before it's all said and done. But at the same time, you know, reading through part one is always fun. Watching part one was great fun, and the voice cast was really giving it their all, dub and sub alike. I absolutely loved these episodes. I have nary a major complaint to list among them i enjoy part one i think i'm kind of with the taku when i think way back when when i first went through parts one and two i did find them kind of i i felt they were kind of slow and they were a bit hard to get through but revisiting them again i i did have a lot more appreciation for them i mean jonathan isn't my favorite jojo but i think the main elements of part one that really pull me through the whole thing is just how immense and epic of a villain the Dio is and just the the wonderful, very charismatic, honorable mentor, Mr. Zeppeli. It is kind of interesting to, to go back and see, for instance, the way Jojo is now and go. It's kind of like like Superman. You see Superman now and he's like a completely different character than he was in the Golden Age. And it's kind of the same thing. But the difference between Superman and, for instance, Jojo is the fact that with Jojo, it's just one guy doing the entire story. And this just is kind of the evolution simultaneously of his artwork, his storytelling, and also kind of the manga industry, which is a thing, honestly, 
that is not really talked about much is the fact that JoJo isn't just super influential. The manga industry influences JoJo a lot. And I, I wish more people would kind of notice that because there's a lot of unfortunate people who don't know that. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Araki is an insanely imaginative guy. I wish I had the, the creativity of him, but I mean, he's inf he's he's human too. I mean, it, memes aside, you know, and he's influenced and inspired by things just the same as other people. But I'm going to go into that in our off hours segment more. So, favorite character? We we got to do this. Favorite character. Favorite character of part one? Yeah, the, these these things we got to do it. My my favorite character in part one is Mister Zeppeli. He's just this very inspiring speaker and I, I love a lot of those scenes when he's just cheering on and inspiring Jonathan to you know overcome his next challenge and I'm just a big sucker for that stuff mm. all right how about you snack I would say Jonathan himself he is the noble hero the he's the one of the most underappreciated hero types he grows through the pain takes that pain and fear harnesses it to become this sheer brick wall of a human being. And actually what makes this really cool is in Jojo Eyes Over Heaven, several of his descendants comment on, this guy doesn't have a stand, but he could probably beat me in a one-on-one -on -one fight because he is just that bloody-minded determined at all times. And that's just incredibly cool. I want to be this guy. <laughs> He's just incredible. You're going to have to hit the gym then. But I mean, yeah, you're, you're about as tall as he is. You just need to hit the gym, dude. That is, that is true. Well, you see, my, my, like, to tell a family secret, my grandfather was an anaconda. <laughs> I see. Mr. Dotaku, your favorite character, sir. Well, I, all right. All right. All right. My favorite, well, to be perfectly honest, I, the one I found myself enjoying most, I, I, I've always kind of been in the Zeppeli camp on this one. But the one, honestly, I found myself liking more was Joseph, actually. Uh, Jonathan, I've always enjoyed, but he's just, you know, I haven't really lost any respect or anything for him. I understand, you know, what his purpose is and everything. I mean, I, for one, enjoy a good hero. I'm not nearly as enamored with him as Snek is, but, you know, that's because I'm kind of an edgy boy. <laughs> but... Honestly, I, I found myself enjoying Joseph a lot more and all of his wacky shenanigans. I suppose it's because I'm not actually getting punched in the face and, you know, having this point where he's just going Caesar <laughs> at me. That, that's a that's a heritage to the future reference, everybody. Spoiler alert, my best character was old and young Joseph in that young Joseph. And it was really infuriating to have a person with an, with an infinite bullet gun get stopped by a cheeky teenager with a bunch of crackers. So well, we'll go more into that later on. It, it makes sense in reference. All right. So after episode nine, we move into the second part of the JoJo story battle tendency, which I think we're actually going to go ahead and say for the next episode. Sounds good. Well, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the Tomodachi Brothers Review Podcast, produced and recorded by The Hipster Snack, Ditaku, and Cog. Sound design and editing by executive producer Sean Taylor Brown with Cog Sound Engineering. Music written and performed by Sean Taylor Brown with Costas Voss of Core Inside Studio on the drums. We hope you enjoyed this episode. See you next time. Welcome to the Tomodachi Brothers Review Podcast, After Dark. Warning, the following conversation may cause the following uncommon side effects. Insomnia, hallucinations, bruising, alphabetical belching, headache, nausea, indigestion, mental anguish, virginity, pregnancy, loss of vision, irritable bowels, overinflated confidence, sense of irrational exuberance, supersonic flatulence, spontaneous combustion, uncontrollable posing, stand powers, spontaneous dance choreography, exposure to opinions that may be contrary to your own, and extreme awesomeness. All right. Excellent. So can I, can I start? Cause I have something on my chest that I really just want to get off. Fire away. Okay. So guys, guys, girls attack helicopters. I just have to say this. Not everything is a Jojo reference. Okay. When Kenshiro is doing the hundred crack fist, it's not a Jojo reference. When Shaman King has ghosts show up and they're standing right beside someone. It's not a Jojo reference. Okay. When every single flurry punch attack is the gum gum rifle, a Jojo reference. No gum gum Gatling. Is that a Jojo reference? No. Even though it's a flurry punch, not everything is a Jojo reference. Don't, don't get me wrong. I, I, I adore Jojo. I got these two guys. in. I understand where you're coming from, too. I mean, if you talk to these two guys, when I was in high school, I was a gigantic, annoying nerd about Yu Yu Hakusho. I loved everything about it. I can't really even look back at it now because it's just, I go, Ugh, oh man, I was a cringy, cringy nerd about that back then. I mean, I'm still a cringy nerd, but it's all about matters of degrees. Guys, you need to expand your horizons. The entire reason why JoJo is the way it was is because of the popularity of Fist of the North Star. Fist of the North Star was huge. And the re- honestly, and part one basically is a retelling of Kenshiro versus Sheen, the first bit of Fist of the North Star. Yeah, it is. It is very Fist of the North Star. Amon is basically Hokuto Shinken. Vampire. It's vampire killing Fist of the North Star. Yeah. I mean, that's that's not that's not an indictment against it, guys. Far from it. I'm just saying Jojo is as much a product of its own time that it was being written as it kind of defined the industry. And it does a lot. It did a lot to influence the industry. Don't get me wrong. But not everything is a Jojo reference. And you're just proving to other people that you really have a very limited reference field when you ask such things and you go, oh, well, that's a JoJo reference. And you just constantly are making JoJo references. I can't go into hard rock, look up hard rock on streaming sites without just seeing the comments going, oh, Poochie sends his regards. I'm like, 
I'm just listening to this because I want to listen to hard rock from the 70s, okay? And so, I mean, here, this is Ditaku's official. If you like JoJo, you might also like these shows because these shows either influenced JoJo or they were influenced by JoJo. So, here it is. Number one, Fist and North Star. It basically set the aesthetic that part ones and, and two had. Hidikuman, number two. Once again, huge influence on just shonen battle in general. The entire thing of friendship being a power-up and just the general anything can be a villain or hero attitude that you see in a lot of shonen battle comes from Kinikuman. Plus the fact that basically Kinikuman is the template that we see other shows like Bobobo, which which is another show I want to do by the way. We're gonna we're, I'm gonna I'm gonna really push for that one, but we'll see. And the next one, Terraformars, not nearly in the same vein, but the fact that they actually will go into the science of the way that the their animals will work and the ingenuity that they use their animal powers is very reminiscent of JoJo. Plus, it is a really really gory really gory show. Really great. I really like it. Last one, Madaka Box. The author flat out says very early on that he is a huge fan of JoJo. The characters reference JoJo's bizarre adventure, even in their own battle powers. And the, the overarching villain compares the main character to Jutaro, Jutaro Kujo on multiple occasions for just the, her sheer unflappable power. So if you like JoJo, awesome. Here are other shows. I'm not saying this. You know, back in my day, I'm just saying because, guys, look, I've been there. I know that. I'm thinking that if this is a thing you like, here are other things that you'll like, and you'll be able to expand your world. And when you have an expanded world, you'll be able to enjoy things more. That's true. That's true, though. Seriously. The more you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I know. I basically just, you know, let me let me sit back in my, my rocking chair. I'll be back in my day. Kids. All right. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I That's out of my system now. I will leave the floor to you. Maybe maybe not so much after hours as Otaku ran. <laughs> old Otaku yells at Cloud. Old Taku. <laughs> old ta- old Taku, yes. Old Taku. Okay, Cog, if uh, Otaku's got that out of his system, why don't we open the floor to you next? Me? Yeah, come on, man. You're, you gotta, you gotta be like, man, all this gore that wasn't in the show, this is really killing my butts. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. So, that was honestly, that is one of my biggest gripes about, like, when, when we're um, talking about JoJo's, like, we were so steeped in the manga for so long. When I sit down and watch the anime, there were some times that I did feel like it did sort of feel like the, the four kids version just because there's pretty startling violence at parts. And when it's like this constant, it's just this slow kind of thing where it's just like, oh, well, that that wasn't quite as, you know, great as I remember it. And oh, that it's not all at once. Like it happens. And then it's it's like, oh, OK, well, that, that wasn't quite as awesome as it was in the manga but then it happens again it's like oh okay that was that was okay and then it happens again and then you just kind of keep rolling with it and i'd say that was probably one of my biggest gripes of just the anime versus the manga but that's just also because we've we've been steeped in it's been what like 13 years since you introduced us to it pretty much yeah so that and just again with this whole concept of 
how it was like when I was in high school and if I had mentioned Joju to anybody, they looked at me sideways like I was a friggin' alien. And they're like, oh, but I'm an anime fan too. And really, you two were the only ones I could even have a conversation with about this. Like there was no one. Like now that the anime is out. To talk to about Now it. that the anime and is now out. Now that the anime is out, it's like, oh, we love JoJo. It's amazing. It's the girl. Oh my God. Yeah. And that's kind of you know, feeding like, well, into it my only opinion. took you what? You know, it, it's been huge in Japan for what? For, for, since the jump. Yeah. But it. it some of these people just are like, oh, you know, maybe you should read more. Maybe, maybe, maybe you should read more. You know? Yeah. Because it's not readily accessible. That's true. That's true. It was, we, we did just have a bunch of scans. Because it's like not that, readily but. accessible, Cog. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I'm so old that physically we had to download these, like, in a giant list. And we had to, like, have all of the zip files and all of them had to be physically unpacked for each chapter because, well, first off, the internet wasn't that good back then that we could seriously torrent them all. And secondly, that, I mean, that's just the way things were. You you had to get them that way because no one wanted to touch JoJo because... Oh, yeah, all the, all the classic rock references and everything, yeah. That was, that was one of the big... Yeah, a kind of kind of a thing that we glossed over. Yeah, was the fact that basically every single character is a reference either to a real life person or a a rock band. Yeah, so they nobody wanted to touch it because like that the licensing issues and that. everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tomodachi Bros Anime Podcast. I'm one of the co-founders and co-hosts of the podcast, The Hipster Snack. If you want more content from me, I have my own YouTube channel, The Hipster Snack. Links will be available everywhere I can spam it up until I get a custom one, but all in due time. I do weekly game reviews and in the future, probably more than that. Look forward to it and I'll see you there and on Twitter at Hipster Snack. See ya!